Two-Age Sojourner is hosted by me, Michael Beck, that's right, and I'm the pastor of Grace Net Community Church in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, we talk about life, we talk about life as it overlaps with the two ages, that's what we do, think about Christianity on our great sojourn, and I'm joined uh, by uh, a number of co-hosts that uh, tend to be quite regular, and uh, Nick is one of the, I mean, Nick is the true co-host, co-host, he's, uh, he's my staple, <laughs> and, um, and he is the pastor of Covenant Grace Baptist Church in Timaru, New Zealand, uh, every Week I put the little show note. That these are the only notes that go on the show notes, so you'll you'll catch his uh, his uh, web address there and my one, and so you can check our churches out and that sort of thing. Yeah. Keep in mind, music on this podcast was graciously given to us. It was written by Jeremy Casella, but it, it was given to us to enjoy at the beginning of every single podcast uh, episode. Uh, performed by Indelible Grace, you must listen to more of them at Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you want to. Uh, check out 2H Sojourner as well, uh, .com. That's where you find out more info about us. Give us a rating, uh, subscribe, do all that cool stuff so that we can uh, keep going with this thing. Um, today, we are continuing with our discussion on baptism, which is just topping the charts. It's amazing. You just go popular, <laughs> and all of a sudden you get popular. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves baptism. So it just seems to be the subject. Um, yeah. So that's cool. We're enjoying a, a moment of fame you know, and glory and just high... High ratings and reviews, and we're into the triple-digit views. Oh my it's like goodness! Awesome, beautiful. Whoa. I mean, I, it, they obviously <laughs> just don't appreciate uh, Doyavidianism and Klein and that sort of thing as much as they do baptism. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. Anyway, you know, we do what we do, and uh, today we are. If my brother, he's he's just come back from a holiday, and so uh, he might pop on and just not even know that he's being recorded, and he'll just slam it on him. Um, I asked him, I gave him the link so he can he can join us at any time, but Sweet. he's kind of tidy like that, so we'll see. We'll see if he actually makes it. Um, all right, Nick, we are well into it at this point. We've got Greg Welt- Welty's article. I have mentioned that um, in the previous um, yep. episodes. I still haven't put this on the show notes. I mean, so a summary of a critical right. evaluation of Peter baptism. Mm-hmm. And if, yep. um, if you do want to check that out, just Google that exact title in uh, Greg Welty, W-E-L-T-Y, and um, that'll that'll come it up, uh, bring it up first, um, first hit. So um, that's good. Now we have looked a little bit at the intro, the um, a few texts that he's really exploring the issue of the hermeneutics, you know, Definitely. behind some of the the Pentecostal thing. And we're just chirping in with some random comments here and there, um, really just trying to get an overview because I think we will probably. Uh, keep going with this for a while. Nick and I have just decided let's let's extend the conversation. Let's get right down to it. Let's start off, you know, nice and big and broad, and then uh, let's interact with some stuff specifically once we've done this. You know, I know a lot of people have mentioned um, Vesco's book in the past. Uh, you know, he's a, a kind of clone of of, of Kuiper's work, uh, at least not Kuiper. Uh, my goodness, I've been reading Kuiper all day. That's that's what went wrong there. Sorry, uh, but uh, Klein. <laughs> Klein's uh, book um, by Earth Consigned. So uh, I think uh, hopefully if, we, if this goes according to plan, we will get to interact with that a little bit afterwards. And then things like Stuart's book and, you know, so all of that stuff. So it's a long journey. We'll see how far we get. Um, but I think I think it'll be interesting. We just keep going. And then we just got to try and eventually get life together enough that we're doing more than just this. And then we can add in some more of our patriarchal not patriarchal stuff, the patriarchs, <laughs> the the church fathers, uh, you know what I mean. The patristics is what I was going for. Thank you. 
Pleasure. Oh my goodness. It's going to be a rough. You used you've used your 5000 words for the day, brother. <laughs> I really have. <laughs> Patriarchal. I keep saying that. I mean patristics just so that everyone knows that from now from now on in. Yeah. Um, all right. So we looked at Jeremiah. We've just done some cursory glancing at that. Um, well, what we did is we we started looking at um, the third point in his paper, uh, Peter Baptist's misuse of key biblical texts, mm-hmm. and we ended the last session looking at Acts two. Yes, and so we were just about to kick it off with one Corinthians seven, uh-huh. seven verse fourteen. Wow! So right. we'll just pick it up there. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I mean uh, the one Corinthians seven fourteen is the famous text where mm-hmm. uh, Paul says that the children are clean. Mm-hmm. Peter Baptist necessarily conclude, therefore, the good and necessary inference is that they should be baptized. Yeah. So Greg Welty, uh, he talks about how the Peter Baptists take Paul's wording of children being holy Mm -hmm. to infer that they are in the covenant community and therefore they should receive the sign of baptism accordingly. Yeah. Here's the problem. The same word holy is applied to the child as well as the unbelieving spouse. And um, all agree that the unbelieving spouse should not be receiving any sign of right. the covenant in baptism. Right. right. Now, I mean, the pushback there is, um, yeah, but they don't want to, you know? Um, and so... Well, some might. Huh? Touche. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't, isn't that what happened with household baptisms? Right. Some so what day. are you saying? You're saying that, okay, you've got someone who is not... Um, you know, not professing faith or anything as an adult. Oh, what do I see there? Oh, 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 oh. Who's that handsome man over there? Oh, he's right in. He's right in there. (laughs) Wow. All right. Hey, listen, bro, just so you know, before you say anything stupid, you are being recorded right now. We are going. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Totally. And I just realized, actually, I haven't got this on gallery view. Sorry. There we go. Boom. My apologies for anyone watching. Oh, it was on gallery view for me, but I don't know. I think that's just your thing. Yeah. Uh, So, all right. Cool. There we go. Now you can see the three amigos and uh, it's all good. Good to see you again, bro. How's it going? Hey, bro. Good to see you, man. Good, good. (laughs) Are you nice and fresh with all that holiday vibe? Yeah, man. Looking really relaxed. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm in my church building. So this is my, my study at church. Nice. All right. And um, so we you are a real we, pastor. Yeah, real pastor. So yeah, I see you have the ubiquitous BB Warfield set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm going to read it one day. Yeah, it's good. So, what cheapest set out there? It always looks good on a shelf. It's really uh, good. Know. I've got it too. I know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I read a great BB Warfield quote uh, the other day on um, uh, in Chris Corhey's book, which I'm reading with my new pastor in training. So, um, brilliant. It, it's all about being saved by works, just not our works. It was great. Praise God. Amen. Covered in head. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you feeling fresh? It, feeling yeah. good? Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. I mean, I, I, I was feeling great. And then Sunday wiped me out. So, mm. yesterday I was, I was in, the proper, in the proper Monday doldrums. Mm. Um, but, I'm, but I'm feeling better today. I'm feeling good today. So, are you guys yeah. back at it now, or are you still? still yeah, we, we met in the building, but it's like back at it is a bit too strong. I think we're we're in the building together, but we're all wearing face masks and we're social distanced, and we've got a one way system, and we've got hand sanitizers everywhere, and we've got no singing. How does it feel preaching to a bunch of face masks? I was trying to imagine that the other day. Like I feed off some yeah. of the expressions. 
Yeah. And like you can't well, see smiles. Yeah, you well, you can. You can. Okay. You can see it from the eyes. <laughs> so it is crazy. Like you you can you can see people's facial expressions from okay. their eyes. It's Great. amazing. But look, let me say this, it's better than speaking to a camera. Okay, yeah. Touche. It's a step <laughs> up. It's a step up from that. Yeah, one so, Right. Uh, That's crazy, man. Okay, good. Good to have you back. All right. Well, we are we're throwing you straight in to a discussion. What are we on, talking about today? We're talking about what baptism. Are we doing? <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks Had for you, doing the prep work. That's really great. Yeah. yeah we were, we were going to lean on you as the, the specialist yeah. in the yeah. team. Yeah, well, you know. Um, yeah. So have you I'm not been time. listening? You've not been listening to the preseason? I actually, no, I actually have listened to about, uh, the, I listened to the first episode. Um, and I started listening to the second episode. And then I thought I'd stop and read the actual paper you guys are talking about. So I found the paper, because thanks for putting that in the show notes, Mike. My pleasure. So that I could just click help. on it and go straight there. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think I found the right paper, mm-hmm. and I started reading it, but I haven't read it yet. So. Okay, Very cool. Good. Hit me. Haven't good. haven't read Paul Jewett yet, but I bought the book recently, so it's on my it's on my immediate list to read. So we'll cool. See. Well, we'll we'll get there. Just saying, like maybe uh, one or two <laughs> books after this, we will start interacting with that, you know, on the show. So that'd be good. Okay, one time. Yeah. Right. So save it okay. for them. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, we're just throwing down, uh, throwing down some random comments as we were just saying there, and it, nothing too detailed. Nick's probably going to guide us through this, but um, we just want to talk. We're talking about First Corinthians seven fourteen now. You know, the whole one where the unbelieving husband has been sanctified, you know, through the wife and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then the children mm-hmm. are holy. So um, uh, I was just saying. So is um, so you know uh, the pushback to that because Nick was just saying is you know if it's if it's what you say for the kids, you got to say for the unbelieving spouse as well, and you know we see a bit of a uh, inconsistency in that, um, and so we would say that there must be a better way to apply or at least interpret that passage, and we can get to that in a second. But but I know that a lot of the um, infant Baptists that I have spoken to um, will will say, well, you know, um, you know that's different. It almost reminds me a little bit of their argument with. Uh, you know, pay to communion and, and, and that sort of thing in that why why don't you give your kids, you know, the both mm. covenant signs essentially. And the reason is because, you know, they are, they, you know, there is a command there not to take of the, the body in an unworthy manner. And so, you know, there is a, a need to express faith. And so it's not like you're just overriding that, you know, you're just applying the faith, uh, applying the sign, you know, wherever disregarding of someone's um, profession. Yeah. So if there's an unbelieving spouse and he's against the Christian faith, I mean, you're not going to go ahead and, and, and give him the covenant sign. And they, they would just simply say that. Um, yeah. So what do we say about that? What do you say about that, Nick? What do you I say, say that's about that? pure argument from silence. I mean, where does it say they don't want to be baptized? Well, I suppose um, the idea would just well, it's be saying, that... No, but isn't it implying that they're holy? It's implying holy... Uh, well, that they're the holy implication, anyway? At least their reading of it, that the holiness derives from the marriage, not from... Yeah. Uh, not so from therefore the, the child spouse. should be baptized. So we would, we would push back and say, therefore you should baptize the unbelieving spouse. And their yeah. pushback to that would be, well, the spouse doesn't want to be baptized. Yeah, exactly. Well, where does it say that? Well, but, you know, I suppose we... We could uh, assume, you know, because it's got the whole unbelieving problem going on in the in the relationship, you know, 
it's yeah. uh, it's it's to- that's what it's all about. It's talking about you know. Well, is it all about that? So here's uh, here's 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 my take on one one Corinthians chapter seven. So let let me let me set the context. Yeah. Because I think that I think I've got greater problems with their original reading rather than their pushback. Yeah. So you know, let's go into Corinth. We're looking at a Greek context. We're looking at underlying problems with Greek philosophy. Mm-hmm. You think of some of the basic questions that they've written to Paul, asking questions about: Is it okay for a man to touch a woman, or a man should not touch a woman? So here is Paul wrestling with a bunch of uh, Greek converts to Christianity, who've been filled with Gnostic sort uh, type theology that that flesh is bad, sex is bad, therefore marriage is bad. And, you know, if it's bad to have sex, what, how, it would be twice as bad to have sex with an unbeliever. And so, man, can I even be married if I'm a Christian? That's the sort of thing they're wrestling with. So Paul comes in and he says, look, you know, the, the, the unbeliever is clean. Otherwise, you'd have to get rid of the kids too. You know, <laughs> if you're going to get rid of your unbelieving husband, then the kids would have to go as well. But mm-hmm. as it is, they're clean. And I think the big issue here is this, two things. Firstly, this is after Acts 10 where, you know, the sheets come down and God has said to Peter, don't call anything clean or unclean, Mm -hmm. which raises the question, well, then why is Paul using the categories of clean and unclean? Mm. And I think it's, it's the polemical context of the situation. To their Greek philosophically informed minds, they think sex bodies and especially sex with unbelievers makes you unclean. Mm -hmm. And he's using their language and interacting with it and giving the pushback with their own jargon. He does it in several places in Mm -hmm, 1 Corinthians, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. when he says, all things are lawful. He quotes them. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a very particular context that you got to re- you've really got to focus in on 1 Corinthians 7, understand exactly what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 7, mm-hmm. track with him from the beginning of the chapter. And then when you actually get to verse 14, where it starts talking about kids, he's not making any positive theological point about their, their sanctity or their covenant status. Mm. He's, it's, it's, it's a throwaway comment, which is why we don't get rid of our spouses. Mm. Mm. Um, and they are, they are just, digging gold out of nothing there and um yeah yeah so i think i think i think that that, that's a good point because i mean it's just it's just bible handling 101 isn't it to to not to not interpret the the clear on the basis of the unclear you know we do it the other way around and say or or the you don't reinterpret the whole because of one obscure little part uh you got to interpret the part on the basis of the whole and so putting it in context like that means that yeah it, it it's not like it, it is proof texting at its best to take something like this and say, therefore, let's build this whole theology of, 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 um, you know, of the covenant relationship between children and their, yeah, and well, and their families based on this one obscure verse. Now, I recognise they're probably saying, well, no, this is just kind of a place where your your overarching covenant theology shows itself. Mm-mm-mm. You know, so it's it's just you bring your baggage you know, with you. The yeah. context denies you to bring that baggage. That's that's my original argument. So yeah. it's, I mean, yeah, for sure, hundred percent agreement. Well, you know, and, and just on their last point, I think um, just you know because you know I think you know with these guys, with uh, our reformed Peter Baptist brother guys, you know they're they're good Bible interpreters, you know. So they know they know what to do with the Bible passage, you know, and it's not like they're gonna, you know, just go along with those those um, those mistakes for no reason. And I think it is important to acknowledge that that you know what they're seeing here is part of an accumulative case that is quite forceful as an accumulative case, in that you you as you say you've got this backbone of their covenant argument, you know, assumption essentially. Um, yeah. 
and and then it's revealing itself, as Andrea put it earlier, in a certain, uh, in, you know, just it's sort of showing itself to be the case, essentially. Like, look, why would he even, and I think it is a good argument to, to look at this and go, you know, um, oh, well, well, that does kind of account for a really weird language that we would never really use as Baptists, you know, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it seems like you'd probably have to be more along the Pater-Baptist lines to be able to use language like this. But I think what really helped me, I mean, exactly what you've been saying already has helped me, and I think what Welty says here, in that you, you, you do just have to be, you do just have to be consistent. I mean, even if you're going to say that, that um, you know, there is a covenant uh, legitimacy or entrance that's that's given through, um, you know, to the children, then something along those lines, even if, if, if they don't actually follow through with baptism, you have to acknowledge that there is some level of sanctification at that, at that covenant entrance that's happened to an unbelieving spouse, which is just, it's a little bit weird, you know, it's, it's a weird idea. And, um, and then even beyond that, um, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, it becomes a theme for us is that we just want to be basically consistent. You know, just, you know, what, what you give to the one, give to the other, you know, just if you're going to do this, then do it all the way there. And, you know, we're, mm. we're feeling that, I mean, that becomes a theme and a refrain for Baptists. We're just going, all right, well, look, they baptized all, they circumcised their whole household. Why aren't you doing that? Uh, you know, they gave their covenant, both covenant signs, you know, why don't, why aren't you doing that? Uh, that, that becomes like a thing for us, you know, why are you giving just baptism and not the Lord's Supper, etc. Um, and then I think the other thing, just to, just to top it off, I don't think that, not sure if he does re- mention Ezra and, and that idea, but I think this is quite powerful in that it follows on with what you were saying, Nick, in that you've got this kind of, it's, it's more an element of legitimacy at play. You know, that's what Paul is worried about, legitimacy. Yeah. They're, they're, they're concerned that it's an illegitimate thing. And they're looking at, like, you know, Old Testament passages where Ezra's telling them, hey, put away your unbelieving wives. Yeah. You know, and they're mm-hmm. going, um, okay, so do we need to do that? You know, what's the deal? And he's going, <laughs> don't do that. Why? Because, as you know, you've already hit on, on the whole Peter thing and the blanket and the, you know, unclean clean and... Um, you know, all of that is now in play. We're not in a theocracy. It's, a, it's a, you know, those, those mm. distinctions have been removed. And so there's a lot of weighty theology, I think, in the background for Paul. He's just not making some random statement. But, but mm. uh, it's just there's a better explanation, explanation for it than just to, you know, plug it into uh, this, the spine of, of uh, covenant theology that you see happening throughout, yeah. or not covenant theology, but, you know, Pedobaptist covenant theology. The way they would normally lead the conversation on this verse would go along the lines of why does Paul use the category of holy as applied to children. Yeah. Doesn't that warrant the assumption that he has covenant categories? Yeah. Abraham and his seed. And exactly. so we've got to look contextually and exegetically at the context to, to explain why the word holy is used without yeah. importing, yeah. as Andre mentioned. Yeah. Um, but the, the, um, the, the assumption, too, is that it's impossible to be a Baptist um, and and yes. not hold yes to, Good. I want to, talk about that. to yeah. some de- and to some degree of, of the holiness of the child or yes, yes, or that yes. a child may be may be a genuinely Christian before they're baptized. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? So there's an assumption that as a Baptist you can't believe that anyone can become converted unless they have been able to articulate their understanding of justification by faith alone. You know, and which I. So, so you know, we don't have to we don't have to give that ground. 
Yeah. Right, interesting. Because I, you know, I was going to make a similar point <laughs> in that uh, you might even be more they Baptisterian would then than us me. With inconsistencies, but anyway, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yes, that I was going to say, uh, which I think is it's it's got a similar starting point, which I also just want to throw down on the table. Maybe if we talk about it later, but the thing is, you know, this constant play. Like, you know, I've just recently had a discussion with someone about this. You know, what do we do with our children then? You know, what about our children? Uh, why, uh, how our children are different from an unbeliever's, uh, you know, child. Providentially, it's true. And so I've, I've often just thought to myself, or, you know, this has just been, I might have picked this up from somewhere, but you've got that de jure, de facto thing going on that I think is super important there in that, um, you know, de facto, they are. <laughs> they are different yes. providentially. I mean, we, I, you know, I call my, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even actually, if it wasn't so you know, laden with all this baggage, I wouldn't even have a problem calling my child a covenant child in the sense that they are the children of those in the covenant, you know, and they are then being raised in the, in the way of, I could see how that might cause confusion. Uh, yes. I'll, I'll refrain from that. But, but, but what Please. I'm trying to do is just say that, you know, it's, no one's denying that it's a de facto reality. What they're mm. trying to do is make it a de jure reality in that they're trying to legitimate, uh, you know, bring them into that covenant standing by the reality of the de facto uh, point. And I think, uh, you know, no one has to deny the de facto point, though. And it's a really powerful yeah. point. And it's like, you know, yeah. you steward your children, you dedicate yeah. your children, you consecrate yeah. your children, you do all these things anyway that Klein is really only ever arguing for, um, yeah. you know, just basically yeah, as so someone. Like, I can teach my kids the Lord's Prayer just because they're not baptized. Totally. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, yeah, so I agree with that 100%. Uh, but I was actually taking it a bit further and saying yeah, yeah. a lot of my, my pedo-baptist friends uh, will will think that I don't think it's possible for a child to be converted. Yeah. Now, you, you know, you're talking I about... I don't think it... I, like, I mean, it's it's impossible for a child to be a Christian unless the... You know, um, right. So are so, you talking about when, um, like he says, uh, you know, children obey your parents in the Lord. And then we go, well, okay... Yeah, it's talking about Christian <laughs> children. Yeah. You know? And yeah. look, I, I don't. The reason I don't baptize uh, children is not is not because I don't think it's possible for them to be Christian. I just don't think you've seen the the evidence of their of their right. faith yet. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, upon which you you know, right. the, it's a it's the profession of faith that baptism goes along with. And so, um, it's not that I'm saying that. You know, a child couldn't become a Christian in infancy, or couldn't be regenerate because it's it's miraculous work. It's like John the Baptist. You're using the John the Baptist possibility. Yeah, it could be that. It could be that. Well, it doesn't sure. even have I mean, to be that extreme. Later on, yeah, exactly. It doesn't it could, have to be that extreme. It'd just yeah. be like you know, at a very early age, before yeah. a child would really get very articulate about what they believe, and you know, they, they yeah. credible have, confession comes to the foreground. Yeah, that's yeah. all we care about: credible confession. I mean, you know, whatever. But you know, the other thing is um, the the whole. Uh, you know, I suppose um, if you've ever looked at Joel Beakey's argument for um, infant baptism, which is, you know, basically I, I would imagine a, a well, you know, a very good representation of the Puritan, many of the, the Puritan arguments, at least along those more, more Jonathan Edwards type Puritans than, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I won't get into to deep waters there, but, but j let's leave it at Joel Beakey where he says, I mean, he's basically, he's like, listen, the reason you should baptize your kids is because they, you know that they will have access to the gospel, whereas you can't baptize other people's kids 
because you don't know that they'll have access to the gospel. So basically it comes down mm. to you know they have access to the gospel, that's the grounds for, for giving. You know, you're not saying that they're converted, you're not saying that whatever, you're just saying that they will hear the gospel. Now at that level, at that, you know, I'm just going, I know, I agree. Fine. Exactly. <laughs> All the functional reality is the same, except I'm just not, that's not the grounds for baptism, for crying out loud. That's it. You know, that, mm. but that's it, though. We're not actually agreeing, uh, disagreeing with the substance of the situation, the fact, yeah. the rea- yeah. reality of the situation. We equally see it as, as, as a massively important thing, you know. Yeah. So anyway. when, I was, when I was at Bible college, I mean, I went to a Reformed Bible college. Mm. I was a Baptist. They were Peter Baptist. They'd all studied at Westminster, got their PhDs there. And so I put the, we were having this discussion on baptism and I put the question to them, what, what benefits do your children have that mine don't have? Mm. Mm. Yeah, like, it's, it's like asking the question, you what get does baptism mean? They hear the same sermons, they pray the same yeah. prayers. Yeah. Yeah. I give clarity that they need to believe in Jesus in order to be saved. You've given the impression that they're already part of Jesus, the church. Except not. Uh, the body, except Ex- not. Except not. Yeah, you, yeah, you've muddied the waters a bit. I've, I've granted them clarity. Yeah. So, But what other benefits have you given them besides a bit of water that totally. I haven't? Totally. And that's like asking the question, which, I mean, I just love it. I call it the... I call it the 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 Pedobaptist squiggle. You know, when you ask this question, it's just like it's interesting, man. It's yeah. just it gets fun, uh, you know. And and not to be too derogatory, but but it is kind of just you know cool. <laughs> it's yeah. cool to do because you know you just say, what does baptism do for the child? Just what yeah. does what does it do? Tell me what it does. Now, what I like about Klein's thing, Angel Angel Beaky's thing, <coughs> is that they go well. You know, it cements the fact that they have access to the gospel. Or in Klein's case, you know, it it consecrates them to the suzerain lord by virtue of the family, uh, the household authority principle, or the family um, headship idea. But um, you know, not everyone can, and it, you know, and then you you've got someone to work with, you know, and you still might not agree with it, but at least it's clear. But a lot of the times, man, it's just. You know, no yeah. one knows, you know. Yeah, but and equally, you'll get different answers. Huh? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And then they come, the, the next thing is, well, you know, if you deny baptism, what are you saying about what the church has universally held all throughout the ages? And mm. I'm like, listen, um, you well, know, you don't even hold to the same thing within <laughs> yeah. one microscopic denomination. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, come on, you know. Well, if baptism saves, infant baptism becomes a lot more, uh, you know, I can understand it. Which like is what the church is held to for all. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if we want to choose yeah, exactly, something. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So the, yeah. the moment you drop ex opere operato or, yeah. or something like that, yeah, yeah, um, then uh, then suddenly infant baptism has to account for things that it just can't really account for. Just, like obviously, if you believe baptism saves your kid, you can instrument of justification. Kid. That's that's the technical Roman Catholic view. Yeah, 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 yeah. and Lutheran. Brings you into Slightly a state different. of grace. Yeah. yeah, they've got a word thing going on there as well. But it's, Yeah, they believe you know, that on the basis of word and promise, not on the basis of water. So the Holy Spirit comes with the water as a word. And yeah. that's that's yeah. that's what does it for you. Yeah, and it but keeps the, the Lutherans yeah. believe in a, well, Luther himself believed in a process of regeneration. So you wouldn't be regenerate at the moment. When, a, when an infant was baptized, Luther didn't believe that all of regeneration happened at that point because of his view of daily repentance. He believed that baptism was the beginning of a longer process. And so it didn't all just happen at one go at one time. Luther had a lot of nuance. Lutheranism after him sort of buttoned all of that down and made it a much smaller package. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, that's another discussion. We'll it talk about messy Lutheran that, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so, but the, um, yeah, yeah. No. So I was going to say, should we move on to the next verse? I just want to say that in opposition to all of that, look how wonderfully consistent Baptists are. 
<laughs> Look how we are all on the same page on everything. I know. Yeah. I know. We all agree that you shouldn't baptize babies. No, literally. It's like literally <laughs> all that we agree on. It's so classic. It's like the one thing. Who in their right mind would unite on that point? That's how I understand I how the Baptist even it's came It's the around. irony of the Baptist union. It's like, oh my goodness. These churches are monstrously mm. different. But hey, they, they all believe in believers' baptism. Yeah. Oh, man. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, a bit iffy on the authority of the scriptures, but passionate. Passionate, about not yeah. baptizing yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. It's it's, uh, it's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So just if we're, we're, we're shooting other people here, just I'm just wanting everyone to know. I'm pulling out. There are times that I pull out even bigger <laughs> weaponry against my my own clan. So just relax, you know. Everyone be cool. We're just <laughs> South African. South African dis. We, we dis people if we love yeah. them. If we exactly. don't dis you, we don't love you. That's how it works with South Africans. <laughs> so if you're feeling dis right now. Just feel the love. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. This explains a lot of our relationship, Mark. I think so. Um, I think so. Uh, I feel but the home. other thing on that on that note is that is that um, you know Baptists also do some freaky stuff with their with their child dedications. So, yeah. like, um, it seems to me like Baptists fall into very similar sorts of errors of thinking in some of the dedication services. So not yeah. all, yeah. So, um, so but one some of, of one them of are Welty's, basically baptism services without water. Yeah, yeah, one of Welty's complaints is that the Peter Baptists tend to Christianize the Old Testament and Judaize the New Testament. So that would be a mm -hmm. Judaizing practice yeah. where we're bringing stuff over, yeah, yeah Old Testament style. Well, so um, we would, that, that would be uh, the same sort of problem that the, the Peter Baptists are doing, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I mean, like, at least they've got some decent theology back it up. We've got, we've got <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> yeah, Hannah and Samuel. <laughs> yeah, we've got, like, Hannah. That's going to do it. But, you know, I was, I was saying to Nick the other day, it's like almost like Klein's argument is like the ultimate argument for baby dedication. <laughs> you know, actually. I mean, it doesn't quite make the grade in my, in my book for infant baptism. But, man, alive, it, it got me rethinking baby dedication. You know? <laughs> really? Yeah. We'll talk about that some other day as well. Yeah. Cool. Baby dedication or baby blessing or nothing. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, let's, dedication, before, <laughs> right. dedication to the suzerain. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at Romans four eleven. Romans so 4, 11. this is this is the classic text where uh, Abraham Paul is talking about Abraham's faith before he was circumcised and his circumcision being the seal of the righteousness that he received by faith. Mm -hmm. So Welty's mm -hmm. comments, uh, he says Peter Baptist used this view of circumcision to try and say that this is what it meant for all those who received circumcision in the Old Testament, namely righteousness by faith. Um, and then he just wants to point out some nuance here. He says, Abraham already had faith and righteousness by faith, and the sign was added subsequent to this. In other words, as we tune into uh, Paul's argument in, in Romans, his whole point is to say faith came first, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then circumcision came mm -hmm. later. And yes, his circumcision was a seal of his righteousness by faith. Mm -hmm. Paul, in the context, this is, this is essentially what he's saying. Now, this does not deny, however, and this is Welty's point, that circumcision also stood for many other things for unregenerate people who also received the, the sign of circumcision. So it was also a promise of land. It was also a, a national identifier. It was a sign of, of a covenant, which was included physical blessings that you didn't need to be regenerate for. Mm -hmm. um, so Welty's comment is just basically to say, don't just make it sound like circumcision is only a seal of a righteousness to be, to be received by faith. And because Isaac received it, therefore my kid can receive it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so he's saying it's much more nuanced. There's a lot more that comes with the sign of circumcision. Mm -hmm. So 
it's true that it is a seal of Abraham's righteousness by faith, but it was also a bunch of other stuff, which makes it a lot more complicated. You can't copy and paste it mm. on our kids. Mm. I think one of the things that also gets me with that one is that, you know, with the covenant of grace, I mean, we, you know, we've mentioned before, we'll come back to this again. We differ from the 1689 Federalists, and it's helpful that we all feel the same way. I think um, we differ with them on the idea of the covenant, of uh, at least of the Abrahamic covenant, not being a covenant of works, but it being a proper expression of the covenant of grace. Uh, I suppose we are a little bit different also from the Presbyterians in that we are, we see it as a, as a typological administration of the covenant of grace rather than, you know, its fullest expression in the new covenant. But, um, you know, the covenant of grace didn't start there either. It gets formally enacted there for sure. And you get, you get, you know, a major thing that happens to advance our understanding of it um, and certainly a promise to Abraham and, you know, as it inaugurates that whole story. But, you know, the covenant of grace is something that begins right in the beginning, right? And, and so if you're going to start playing like that, you got you to, gotta, why start in Abraham, you know, to, to bring across that practice as, as, a, yeah. as an automatic assumption of continuity, you know? Why, why don't we start with Noah, you know, and, or before then, even with Adam, you know? What were they doing with their kids? And um, were they doing anything with their kids? Uh, you know? <laughs> well, Noah and his adult children were all in the ark. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they, they like to leave that one alone. But yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So there's the family principle which we would be arguing for, but they want to zero in on the fact that infants receive circumcision. Totally. Totally. <clears throat> Absolutely. And you know, even on that family principle, I know we just spoke about it, but it's like we would agree that that's a normative way that God would, you know, save people through through a, a family sort of uh, communication of the gospel. It's, you know, people are going to providentially be exposed to the gospel through family. But nothing changes in that way. There is a family solidarity principle that remains. It's just, again, that was never really the grounds um, for baptism um, in Abraham's case because of the thing that would come of Abraham's family. Um, it, was, it was certainly necessary on the male reproductory organ. That's not a clue. Yeah. I don't know what is, you know? Exactly. Uh, but yeah, there we go. Now, uh, just uh, one of the points that Welty raises is he, he says that Baptists are accused of having two circumcisions. Right. What would you say to yeah. that? Baptists are accused of having two circumcisions. Yeah. So Old Testament well, circumcisions. So in the Old Testament, because we make do distinctions. Mean, do they mean two Circum viewing circumcision differently under under the two different covenants. So uh, like, no, just in the Old Testament, because we separate oh, right. regenerate from the unregenerate, we in fact have two circumcisions. Got it. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I mean, the the reason I would say is because I agree with everything typical Presbyterians would say about the sign yeah. as it applies to Abraham. You know, so you and know, the elect. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I mean, well, there, there was an external reality for the covenant of grace at that point. So yeah. it was, it was, it was real. I mean, whether you want to take a Kleinian approach and say that it was all external, and then you had the internal covenant of redemption thing going on, or whether you just want to take the normal, you know, external ele uh, element, internal element of the covenant of grace in, in the Abrahamic covenant. I, I agree with all of that. I think that's all true. It's just that that's the typological part, you know, and exactly. the, the, the external falls away. So if I'm saying it, if I've got two circumcisions, so have they, you know, and that's exactly. the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> so we would say something. This is what he says. He says, um, 
We would stress that all who received circumcision did receive its physical promises, the external aspects, mm. while only the elect, what was spiritually signified. Mm. So, so it was a seal of righteousness by faith yeah. mm -hmm. for the elect. So. But there weren't two circumcisions. Everyone also received the physical promises mm -hmm. yeah. and all that was attached to, to the external covenant. And then, uh, like you said, um, he, he points out that the truth is the Peter Baptist view has two different meanings for circumcision. There's one for Abraham who had faith mm. and one for Isaac who did not. So the, the view that truly has two circumcisions is the Peter Baptist view. Yeah. Yeah. As they bring it through all the way to the new covenant, especially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It seems a weird criticism, though. Because like, Abraham is faith circumcision. Isaac is circumcision faith. Yeah. Yeah. I've never actually heard yeah. that one though before, to be honest. Well, that was that was no, one no, of his no. that was one of his points anyway. That's so like an eighties argument. Even if you conceded that, even if you conceded that argument, so what? Like, what? what who's saying that that's necessarily a like? Like, I mean, what is yeah. what would it's, be? It's the, probably would be the, the uh, you you sound like a dispensationalist because you have more than one thing going on at a time, sort of thing. You're <laughs> right, denying unity, bro. sort of stuff. You got dualism yeah. versus monism coming in. It's, there. Uh, it's, yeah. it's failing the Occam's razor test here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's sort of it's probably one of those sorts of arguments. Okay, okay. I'm with you. It's it's not strong, but I'm just I'm I'm, I'm summarizing yeah, what no, he said. Sure. Yeah. All right, Colossians 2 verse 11 and 12. Yeah. So this is this is the main verse that Peter Baptist used to show that baptism has replaced circumcision. Mm -hmm. And Baptists would respond by saying, "Well, we definitely see an overlap, but just not a parity. There is definitely a connection, and it's just not the connection that they want to make." Yeah. He writes this, he says, what we deny is that the identity of meaning is the identity of meaning between the two signs. Who is this talking about? About believers? Uh, who is this talking about? About believers. Who are those who are circumcised in God's sight? Those who have put off the sinful nature and have been raised with Christ through their faith. Thus, the concept of circumcision has been transformed in the New Testament to denote those who have experienced salvation in Christ. Yes, I probably wouldn't use that. I mean, I, I even see, a, I'm even okay with saying I see a parody, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Because, you know, they literally are pointing to the same reality, you know. Um, I'm, I'm fine with all of that. But really, I mean, the parody, you know, I think what he's saying there and, and where I would agree as well is that the parody falls apart by way of sign and symbol, you know, in that the sign is pointing to something that had yet to be accomplished. It had a wider perimeter to it so to speak and then the symbol looks back on the thing now accomplished and therefore requires an existing profession before its administration you know yeah. but but in terms of the actual substance that they're both pointing to i do see it can yeah that's one of the things i liked about jewett's argument you know he was yeah. one of the reformed baptists that just said okay well you know they're right on this point so just roll with it the only issue is that it doesn't necessarily the, you know, it, it's the typology. Well, there, there, the there, are, there are two points in the text, though, that seem to imply a change in the recipient. So besides the meaning of circumcision, the, the, the circumcision without hands. Mm -hmm. So that implies the inward work of the spirit, which would only apply to those who've been regenerate. And then faith would also be talking about believers and not unregenerate children. So yeah. although the meaning of circumcision, you know, let's say there's all sorts of continuity going on there. The recipients of baptism. Are, there is a definite discontinuity going on there. Yeah. The, um, yeah. I agree, know, no, I agree with that. I also think there's a, there, there is again a, a little bit of a, you know, if you, if you go and you concede the whole thing, um, all, all that really gets to us, it, it gets, or the only point that really gets you to is that if you, if you baptize your kids, 
then there is something being signified there. If you don't baptize your kids, there's something being signified there. So it doesn't actually answer the question, should you baptize your kids? You know, because in verse 11, in, in him, you were also circumcised by the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism. So yeah. like, I, you know, again, if you're willing to say I'm baptizing my kids and that is the moment. Yes. Yes. And that is the, like Mike says it is truly symbolic of them being buried with him. Yeah. You know, then, then, okay. Then you can sort of go for that, but no pedo Baptist in the reformed world no. is, is willing to do that. Yeah. Well, some um, might be. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. True. Federal well, visions. Presumptive regen. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, in the, in the kind <laughs> yeah. of orthodox yeah. reform world, you know, no, I, so I can no, understand. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that uh, like a Lutheran yeah. might, for example, um, you know, with, with a, a stronger view of baptismal regeneration or, or an Orthodox or a Catholic might see this and say, you know, I've got no problem with that because yeah. there's something happening there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if you're not v taking that view, yeah. um, then it becomes difficult. Yeah. And so one of the things that, that come back on that is, well, the sign and the thing signified are not temporally bound. So in other words, they can yeah. express the thing that is being signified without having to have the thing happen in the moment. It can happen later. So you, you do the sign and, and the thing happens later. And, so I'm, and you know even on that point, I think it's important to bring up because I even agree that the sign and the thing signified are not temporarily bound. I just think there's a chronological order to their temporality. Yeah, exactly. You know? Switch uh, the and, order around. Exactly. And that's really all we're talking about. Like the, 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 the thing signified um, actually happens prior to the thing. You know, and, and that's even not to say that um, because I know, you know, one of the things that you could push back on then is, okay, well, um, what about the guy who professes faith? Indeed, you know, in fact, if we had God's sight and we could see what was happening, he actually wasn't converted. And then a year later becomes converted. No Baptist is going to, you know, re-baptize that guy. And, yeah. But that's using, a, you know, it's arguing from the exception. And but that, yeah. No, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just because there could be, um, you know, uh, no necessary correlation between the the time of your you're giving the baptism and then what that thing signifies doesn't mean that that becomes your normal practice mm. so yeah you know just just you know again yeah. so you to take that example mm. that you've just used it's not now that suddenly my whole practice is yeah well i'll just baptize whoever because at some point they'll become christians maybe but of course yeah. you can acknowledge <laughs> yeah. um you you, you uh, you can acknowledge, though, that that kind of thing happens yep. and that that's fine and yep. that that's a, that's a part of it. And because, so you're not necessarily say it with me now, say it, it with me now, we only care about the credible profession of faith, yeah. you know, not the inward uh, regeneration. The keys of the kingdom yeah. are to regulate the visible church, not, exactly. not, not to determine who the elect are. And credibility doesn't mean you have to take the guy and put him under a lamp and, and you know, give him the nth degree. It just means he has to say, I believe in Jesus. I want to get baptized. And, you know, he's not, you know, he's not on and he's drugs not when he's doing it. he's injecting himself with heroin. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, I mean, you don't have to give him the nth degree, but you, you just want to have some level of, of credibility attached to that. So that's all yeah. we're doing. So, you know, obviously that's going to leave a lot of wiggle room for, you know, unusual situations to emerge, but uh, we're talking yeah, about. So, so those four texts, Acts 2, 1 Corinthians 7, Romans 4, and Col Colossians 2 uh, would be the main texts yeah. that Peter Baptist would use. And uh, Welty just wanted to yeah, point out how each one of them have been misused. Yeah. Right. right. The Acts 2 one and the... Um, Romans 4, 11, 1 are related though, aren't they? Because 
Uh, by Acts 2, I'm assuming it's this promises for you and your children. Is that the yeah. one? Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. one. So um, th- there is a relationship there because we're obviously seeing the parallel of baptism and circumcision insofar as it applies to Abraham, but we're not seeing the parallel insofar as it applies to the, the children, right? Oh, say that again. Sorry, I was having a, <laughs> I was having a day of it moment. <laughs> <laughs> we must have been sharing it. I, I was just uh, I was thinking about the possibilities of structural monism as you were speaking there. <laughs> Let's see how clear oh, his thinking is. Yeah. I, I was just saying, so I'm, I'm assuming you guys said in, in Acts in Acts two, um, the promise is repent and, and be baptized. Right? Yeah. So right. the, the the promise to the children is if they repent and be baptized, they can also receive eternal life. Right. <laughs> Is that, is that something along the lines of where you went? <laughs> yes. Okay. Where's the question? All I was asking for was a simple yes of affirmation. I wasn't. I, I just wanted some kind of sign you were tracking. I wasn't asking you to answer any question. Got it. No, that's that's about right. Never mind. Okay. It's it's late at night, yeah. Long day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Long day. So I noticed. Uh, does does Welty actually get to? Um, he does talk about the apostasy passages somewhere, right? No. No. Not in okay. This wow. We need to come back to that. Yeah, actually so we'll do from, that in a separate episode, I reckon. We'll have to do that. And also the olive tree thing, all of <clears throat> yep, that. Yeah, doesn't deal with that. Doesn't he? So wow. what, what, what comes up next are the household baptism texts. Okay. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. take a quick okay. – he's just got short comments on each of those. There's nothing profound there. All right. Let's, quick, is, let's this, make this the last one because I know people are thinking like, dude, you guys have lost the plot. What the heck are you still talking about? Because there's for? still the in- inconsistencies in infant Baptist practice. And okay. then there's also Peter Baptist sentimentalism examined. Mm-hmm. Okay, so quickly. All Acts right. 10, 46, 48, Cornelius' household. He says, uh-huh. Peter's warrant for baptism was that all received the Holy Spirit just like he had. It was mm-hmm. not a case of the covenant head converting and the rest following. The Spirit came upon all, therefore all were baptized. Mm-hmm. So exegetically, that's how Baptists would make their case. Yeah. And the pushback would be, well, how do you know there weren't breastfeeding babies? And we would say, exactly. <laughs> All right. I think we do have to end it here. I think it's, I think it's just, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. So let me say this. Let me say this. I'm reading all this stuff and I'm going, I'm hearing Klein shout at me, you know. He's, he's scolding me as I'm talking for not bringing in a whole bunch of like angles on, you know, which I think to be fair, we have to bring in. So let me just say this to anyone who's listening. I hear Klein's voice right now. I know you do too. And I know that you, you know, it's, it's not pleasant to hear Klein screaming at us. So we will come back to that because we will look at Fesco's argument and he will deal with all of that Kleinian angle and goodness. And then we can deal with some of the, you know, suzerainty, um, you know, vassal authority principle thing. So don't worry about it. Let's just uh, put that on ice for now just to make this a, a sane process. But yeah, I think I think what you said, you know, I, I think it was last episode or the episode before that, it's just really all we need to say about so, stuff like this and that, you know, 
at the end of the day, it's like they're all rejoicing. And, you know, like the whole context for the whole thing is flowing out of Pentecost and, you know, the call to repentance and the promise being for those who are repentant. And, you know, they're being added to the church because they believe, because they cut to the heart. That's the whole idea. And I remember, you know, um, I remember John Piper saying this a, a while back and, you know, this is it just sort of stayed with me, not to endorse obviously everything that Piper says on this stuff, but but basically, he's not you know, a good Kleinian Baptist, isn't he? No, he's not at all. Um, but <laughs> to be fair, not, not many of us around, but uh, no, that's true. Um, what Piper said was, listen, you know, it's so obvious that all of these things are showing they're coming out of that Acts 20, uh, at least sorry, that Acts 2 sort of vibe where you repent. So then the question becomes, and it's you know, everyone, I mean, Paul's assuming adult conversion at every point so then the the big pushback ultimately is always okay but that's just for adults what about the children and you either buy that or you don't you know you either buy that i think it's just a forceful thing to say because you know is it really reasonable to think that 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 that's just gonna speak only about a first generation of believers you know to the neglect of the greater principle i don't know it just doesn't make it doesn't seem well, to, it's, to carry the difficulty the is that it, it it does suit the Baptist case looking at the evidence in the text because Lydia there's no there's no evidence that she was married. Yep. Her household could merely include adult slaves and servants. Totally. The, the Philippian jailer Stuart that makes the point that uh, in the Roman context it was often retired soldiers who would who would take the role of jailer. Mm. That was mm. it was a common job for someone who yeah. was older, mm-hmm. whose children were probably older and who would come back off the field. Yeah, not a not a young man with a young family, mm. um, and then of course Cornelius's household, everyone mm. rejoices. Mm. Mm. Um, Philippian jailer's household, everyone has joy. Mm. The household of Stephanus, the first converts in Achaia, who uh, ministered to the saints. We see mm. this activity of discipleship going on. Totally. Um, it, it at in every single instance, there's there's no evidence pointing toward. If you have to wait the evidence, yeah. Yeah. Does it weight towards infants or not infants? But again, like another key factor here is that um, if you're thinking purely from an exegetical point of view, what are those what are those passages actually there to do in the book of Acts? You know, what what was the author's intention there? And I think even everyone's got to agree that the author's intention there is not to lay down some sort of theology of household baptism. Right. But the, the the repeated theme all the way through the book of Acts is the is the word multiply. You know, so you have all of these references to mm. the the word, the word progressing increased. and thousands being yeah. added and the increase yeah. of the word mm. and the and and so the households are filling in that it's showing the progress of the word. And actually, if you view it from an exegetical point of view, if you if you're just thinking that theme in the book of Acts, um, that also supports the idea that more people are being converted than yeah. simply that one conversion is being applied to a household. I think totally. you know, there's, a, there's an additional weight there, but, but also it's just not the point of those passages. And I think, again, the, the, the tension between systematics and exegetical theology is that we've got to be careful of that. We've got to be careful not to just look for ammunition for our arguments mm. with, without bearing in mind those kind of more biblical theological yeah. um, Themes. Let me let me throw a spanner in the works. Let's say, for example, they did baptize babies mm-hmm. as part of the household baptisms. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one argument could be made for the fact that well, they also went to synagogue on Saturday. 
and they continued to circumcise their children on the eighth day, and they went to temple worship, mm-hmm. and 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 they were in that transition period. Mm-hmm. You know, but what does the theology of the New Testament teach? Mm-hmm. So even if you could find some, so like Paul shaved his head and did a Nazarite vow, so mm-hmm. what? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. just, to, uh, um, just a spanner well, in the yeah, yeah, I like don't believe that was the case. Okay, so if that happened, let's take just, the worst case scenario. It yeah. still doesn't ne- doesn't necessarily prove no. a warrant for infant baptism. But I'm telling you, something. The I, I'd go pay to baptist so quickly if that happened. Though, <laughs> if we could find that, just just so everyone knows, that spanner would would throw me out. Okay, it, that's it, fine. Would, it would it would be the car in my engine. It was a thought I thought very many years ago. But, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a big point. And even just uh, going back to the John the Baptist thing, yeah, you have this basic ethos, you know, no more are you just in by virtue of just being in, you know, by your birth. I mean, the whole ethos is that's over now, you know, and then the new dawn of the new creation sort of, you know, begins in the, and the, the, uh, this, this advance, as you say, of, of the gospel to bring people into the kingdom as they no longer just, you know, using uh, the olive tree. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's just, uh, you know, I mean, you, you do have a forceful uh, unfolding of redemptive history and this, this new reality that's now upon them in terms of the, the uh, history of salvation. So, yeah, uh, it, I think it's a, it's a big thing just on that greater perspective and the exegetical details of the, the passages in view. Um, Do you want me to just shoot through the inconsistencies? No, no, or we, want, we, we want to look at that properly. So let's, uh, okay. well, you know, when I say properly, I mean like relatively properly, like properly, not properly, the way we always do. <laughs> um, but, you know, let's, let's say that. That's a chunk. That's a chunk. Why are you okay. in such a rush, Nick? What's going on? Oh, I thought you wanted to wrap it up. So. Yeah, well, we want to wrap it up as in like wrap up this section, bro. Okay. There, can be, there can be a part four and a part five. People are down with that, bro. Sustained meditation of baptism. <laughs> All right. Any last words? Go to church. At least one of us said it. <laughs> During That's a true. take a stand, and even if you're in lockdown, go to church. Oh my goodness! Thanks, MacArthur. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Who knew we yeah, had we'll the Baptist out of jail in one day? Yeah. Um, no, yeah, but that's good. Go to church. <laughs> I, 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 I like that. I also just want to, you know, I just want to point point down there at my church, which is that way. Just gonna point that way to my church. I don't know if that's anyone now, wants to. Just so for the for the benefit of those not watching the video, Andrew just flexed oh, his right. bicep and showed his massive 1689 tattoo. <laughs> Booyah! That's a good way to end. We'll leave it at yeah, that. Yeah, it should it should read 1677, but we won't say anything like that. <laughs> no, bro. I've still no, got more space, bro. No, because <laughs> he he wanted he wanted the whole toleration thing to be included in that. He was he was celebrating the to- yeah. act of toleration, so it's all good. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, good. Totally. <laughs> all right, here we go.